truthfully, the dinner church is going back to the sweet spot of historic Christianity. This is where we are naturally at our best. Dinner churches are starting all over North America. The Dinner Church podcast is creating a space for conversation with dinner church pastors and leaders who are a part of what God is doing through Dinner Church today. I'm JD. I became a dinner church pastor two years ago, and I'm retracing my steps and having conversations I wish I could have had when I was starting out. Join us, lean in, learn more about what it means to launch and lead Dinner Church. I remember starting off in our dinner church journey and being so desperate for examples, so desperate to find people who were out ahead, who had done dinner church before and had proven models that worked in their neighborhoods. Well, shortly after that desperation, I found the work of Verlin Fosner, as many of you who maybe have listened to this podcast have as well. And him and his wife, Melody, have been leading a network of dinner churches in Seattle for the past decade. And I was so grateful early on in our dinner church journey to get to know these two, and they have poured so much into my life. And I was anxious for the opportunity to sit down, ask them some intentional questions, and help them, in a way, uh, share with us reflections from their decade-long ministry of not only leading dinner churches themselves, but leading leaders of dinner churches and training dinner churches around the country. So there is such richness in this conversation. Uh, Please check out the resources that Berlin and Melody have created. I know have been so essential people's dinner church journey. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Verlin and Melody Foster. Well, welcome to the podcast, Verlin and Melody. It's so great to have you. How are you today? Doing good. Yeah, doing great. Good to see you, JD. Yeah, this is super exciting for me. You guys have been so instrumental in my dinner church journey. And I know this podcast is really about uh, me retracing some of my steps and recording some conversations that were crucial to me or conversations I wish I could have had and conversations I had with you guys right there in that living room, actually, at some point uh, were so, so crucial to my journey. So it's a joy to be able to just sit down and uh, talk about this. I wish we could be having it over a cup of Seattle coffee. That would be <laughs> that would be amazing right now, but thank goodness for technology in this. So, for those of you, uh, for those of our listeners who don't know you all and your story, could you give us a brief sort of like two minute who you are, how you came to di- dinner church, and a little bit? I know that you've written whole books about this story and whole trainings, but to bring people up to the speed who maybe haven't heard your story a bit, could you share a little bit? Yeah, well, we've been pastoring for what forty some years? Is that right? Yeah, forty years 40. plus. Haven't taken a moment Three to almost. add it up, right? But in 1999, we became the pastor of this church here in Seattle, um, and it went really well uh, up until uh, it didn't, and it started to decline. The secularization rate of the city was really demonstrating how out of step our way of doing church was. Um, so in the midst of that, a number of soul surgeries and beyond, we felt the Spirit begin to lead us to go back and consider that historic 
way of church, the agape, the new Passover, if you will, that Jesus pitched on that first Holy Week um, to, the, to his disciples and um, do this and remember me and all of that. So we, uh, we, we reached out, started to make that adjustment with our church, and we're really uh, surprised how quickly uh, we, we regained traction. Uh, secular peoples were very fascinated to do church that way. And so fast forward, we're still the pastors of this church. Now it's uh, 23 years in. The church just celebrated its 100th birthday last week, two weeks ago. Um, and the church has become completely reformed and reframed as a church through the city rather than a church on a corner, but uh, using all of these agape Jesus tables and uh, uh, 15 and counting now uh, as how many of them through the city that we have grown into uh, and continually uh, see so many more places. Wow. A Jesus table would just like really change that neighborhood. When are we going to get there, Lord? And on and on. But that's just a quick snapshot of our story. I think 2016 was when it became pretty, um, Obvious, there was also a call to reach out to the rest of the nation as well. And this wasn't just a Seattle story like we thought it was. Uh, so that's when the Fresh Expressions relationship started. We started traveling a lot more, started telling our story near and far. And as it turns out, uh, a lot of other leaders were feeling that same angst and frustration as we were and had been. And this um, dinner church, Agape, uh, New Passover, Jesus Table, uh, sociology of church really started to to be huge for them as well. Uh, so it's been interesting to watch it grow across the nation. Melody, I remember reading the book and really resonating with that holy desperation of like, it's very clear. I think in the book, you even say we had a date that we put on the calendar where the way we're doing things now will end just because it can't continue. And how was your experience in the midst of that holy desperation and then turning towards this new way of doing church, this agape feast, this Jesus table in the neighborhood? Um, what was that journey like for you? Well, for me, to take it very personally, at that point in our ministry, um, there was a desperation because there was a lot of, um, we were going through a lot, had gone through a mm. lot as pastors, mm -hmm. as a pastor's wife. And, um, I was in a really burned out, broken place mm. right before we started this turn. And so me, my desperation is do it or I'm done. <laughs> and yeah. to be very honest. So, um, when we started, um, the Gape Feast, uh, dinner church, um, vision that the Lord had given Berlin for me, my greatest healing really began mm -hmm. because. I was mom to these people and I was mm. welcoming as if I'm welcoming people into my home mm -hmm. and um, this role that I had played for so many years as a pastor's wife really shifted to who I was created to be mm -hmm. and um, just a mom, whether yeah. they were you know twice my age or, you know, so much younger, it was just mom and I thrived in my healing. Yeah. Um, yeah. My healing came. That's awesome. One of the, one of the things that I ha, has brought me a lot of joy in hearing more and more dinner church stories is, uh, the kindness of God to meet people in those sort of like something has to change about the way we're doing ministry or my ministry 
And God's kindness is to offer them dinner church, a new way of relating, a more authentic way of relating around the table that totally can rejuvenate someone who's like burnt out on religion, need some unforced rhythms of grace. Yes, please. How about an agape feast, Jesus table? Yeah, institutional forms and roles are a little awkward sometimes. And uh, dinner churches are anything but institutional. They're familial. They're organic. They uh, operate in such a relational manner that uh, the roles, the awkward roles that had been uh, very uh, thickly associated with ministry, they just are kind of no more. Something really, really Mm -hmm. changes there. Your identity Mm -hmm. as a Christian leader really goes through a significant change. Well, you've filled pages and many podcasts with really key insights, the both of you with Dinner Church. I'm going to do my best with the rest of the time we have here just to offer some questions uh, to get some minds rolling wherever people are at with Dinner Church. And the first question I want to ask, continuing with the theme of coffee for either you, Melody, or Verlin, is if you were to take uh, the... 10 years ago self, so a decade ago, you a decade ago, out to coffee in Seattle today, what would you tell that person 10 years ago about the journey of dinner church, the journey you guys have been on? What would you say, hey, you're going to need to know about this, or this doesn't matter as much as you think it does right now? What would you say to them? You want me to go first? Get ready to have your mind blown and be (laughs) Yeah. And hearts yeah. wide open yeah. for um, an unexpected God. Yeah. Because mm. it is not what we thought we were going to be walking into. It was far better. God had a far better. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. Very true. Yeah. yeah. This Reformation era hasn't necessarily been as kind to Christianity as we think it has. It's forced mm. us to a very logical, rational way of functioning, whereas the faith is a lot more adventuresome and explosive than that. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, when you get out of that, like what a dinner church will do, it takes you right to the front lines of the gospel in a very relational socio pattern. Um, and when you, when you get into that spot, what, what starts to pour out of heaven, what starts to flow through us, it's just so profoundly different. Um, I think if I was talking to myself 10 years ago, I would have used the word relax a lot. Just relax. Because I was bringing a whole bunch of, well, what about bait and switch? Well, what about this? I mean, uh, the whole systematized, programatized approach to Christian leadership made you have all of these bullet points that you had to like click and check off. And you better get it right because if you don't hold it just perfect, It's not going to work and everyone's going to reject you and on and on and on. Uh, When truthfully, the dinner church is going back to the sweet spot of historic Christianity. This is where we are naturally at our best. So to just relax on all of those other flashpoints and just take that simple journey back into uh, back to the Jesus table where Christianity makes the most sense to the already's and the not yet's. Uh, this is a this is a lot more about naturalness than coerciveness. And I, I realized how almost everything I had done in ministry had been strategic and on the edge of coercive. 
<laughs> and that was good, good Christian best practices, coercive. Yeah. You'd be really good at it, you know, and all of that. And yet now we're moving back into the natural expression. So just relax and just kind of, you know, you're going to deconstruct a lot. And you're not actually going to reconstruct much of anything. You're just going to deconstruct a lot. And most of it is this programmatic urgency and bullet points and church planting methodologies and, and yeah. uh, a lot of those things. So relax would be my big word. It's good. I, I can remember a moment early on in our exploration of dinner church where I just kind of looked around with a smile on my face and I had two thoughts, man, this is fun. And the second thought was when's the last time I was smiling this big in in my church plant. And now there was, there's some pretty like big things going on, like global pandemic and things like that. But (laughs) it just is like, that's the emotional, that's what relax meant for me like i when i was able to let down all of the performance driven like uh gotta be perfect when i brought the the expectation of excellence or um all of the nuance of how do we present ourselves in this space and just let myself be pastor in the space let myself be neighbor across the table yeah that's where the smile came from and so i resonate with what you're saying and and relax. Go ahead. I was going to say on a, on a little bit of flip side of that, after we, I don't know, two or three years were in, maybe not that far, I'm not even sure. Um, I went to lunch with a pastor's wife, a friend, and um, just sharing with what we were doing. And I started sharing about a couple gals in our, that particular dinner church and what they were going through. And, and, um, and in that moment with my friend, I just start weeping. I'm, we're in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't even contain myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, at, at these women's brokenness that I had never really come up against before. And finally, when I got my composure, (laughs) she said to me, Melody, I don't even know the last time I sat across from a pastor's wife where she broke where she cried over the the women in her church. Mm, wow. And that marked wow. me. Yeah. Because yeah. um yeah. I needed to be broken. Mm-hmm. I needed that brokenness for the for the broken that God had sent our way. Mm-hmm. The Dinner Church Collective is a nationwide community of everyday missionaries spreading the word about this simple, effective, and historical approach to starting new churches. We sure hope you'll join us for the Dinner Church Summit, November 9th through the 11th, 2023, in Orlando, Florida. This will be the inaugural gathering of the Dinner Church Collective, and it's your opportunity to be a part of developing a family of pioneers passionate about recapturing this powerful expression of God's kingdom. You will meet colleagues who become friends. You will eat really well. You'll worship heartily, and you'll learn tangible practices for building a Dinner Church movement. Learn more at dinnerchurch.com slash summit. Yeah, the, uh, the, the other thought that I had is that when was the last time I had come back from a day of ministry and not be absolutely exhausted and depleted? And yet dinner church, I always come home refreshed and recharged and sometimes like healed. <laughs> wow. go, yeah. go off, 
go that night sick and come home well. I've had that happen many times, having the, almost having the flu. I probably should stay home, but that's where the healer is. So yeah. you can't go work at a Jesus table with the healer functioning the way that Jesus functions and it not really like get on you too. Uh, yeah. We really noticed people after a night of working at dinner church, they go home recharged, rested, yeah. having a hard time sleeping because it was just so electrifying and invigorating. Wow. So you all, I mean, 15 dinner churches now is just evidence that you've spent a lot of intentional time and a lot of, uh, a lot of intentional time with leaders and you've developed people to grow into their God-given calling as dinner church pastors. You've walked alongside them as maybe even spiritual parents, mentors, but coaches as well. Mm. I'm curious uh, if someone's listening to this starting out on that journey. What are some of the biggest celebrations and challenges that they're going to face along the way that you've seen in coaching your leaders there in Seattle or anywhere around the country? Well, I think a starting point is to have a fresh Macedonian type experience. At Mm -hmm. some point in time during a prayer walk is usually the best place for this to happen. The Holy Spirit needs to come upon someone like hap- like what happened with Paul and said, no, not Asia, but, you know, Macedonia. Um, and, in, and in that case, you know, Asia was pretty electrifying with all that was coming down the Silk Road. It was a very fascinating possibility, whereas Macedonia was kind of where the mongrels and nomads lived. And so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> was like, really? (laughs) That's where I'm going? Um, But in some kind of way, we need to have the Holy Spirit really select a neighborhood and a place for us and say, I want you there next. Open up a table there next. Because after you get that going, there probably is going to be another next. And there's Mm -hmm. like this divine strategy that is unfolding that is not us finding the strategy, but okay, hearing the strategy, hearing some sort of a deep spiritual experience. So if a leader um, feels like this is at the edge of their strategy and they are the innovator, and then they're going to go in carrying an awful lot of human pressure, which is actually on par for, for you know, the traditional church. We're used to that. Yeah. That's not what these are. These are a very sent thing. I, I want you to go set up one of my tables right over there and and I'm going to start sending a bunch of folk to you and I want you to shape them in my likeness. This is my doing and it is good. Um, and that there's something really powerful about that Macedonian experience that just naturally gets us on a lot more of a spirit led foot rather than a strategic foot. And boy, we've done a lot of strategic stuff and some has worked a little and a lot has not worked at all. And yet we're still all things strategy in this rational age. Um, but, but, uh, to really be feel sent by Jesus to go to that particular neighborhood and open up a table because he told you to, that's, that's, that's a different experience. Um, and so that starts to set up a number of really powerful wins and really powerful things flowing out of heaven, quite frankly, that I think most people are not expecting. We're not wired for that much of a divine dump. 
to come into a room. We're just not used to it. We've been meeting in yeah. rooms filled with the already's. Uh, basically, everything we're doing is preaching to the choir. Now we're in a room that is filled mostly with the not yet's, but they want to be with Jesus. They don't want to be around yeah. the institutional church, but they want Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus and being around Jesus's people. If we're willing to be there in that setting, that's not a problem. So that's, mm-hmm. I, that I think is probably one of the biggest wins immediately is the shock that actually, you know, uh, it, Christianity is not the problem. Churchianity was the problem. It was a sociological problem. And to really follow the Lord back to a Jesus table, uh, we can have significant voice and influence with the lost of our cities, even the highly secularized environments like yeah. Seattle. So um, someone gets this Macedonian call. They walk by a neighborhood community center or something like that. And they're like, man, like you said earlier in the podcast, Berlin, there needs to be a Jesus table there. As you've watched Jesus tables emerge around the country. Uh, what do you two perceive that people need on that journey? What are the essential things they need, whether they be human in a team or tangible resources in order to respond to that Macedonian, Macedonian call? Well, we've heard you loud and clear say a trust in the Holy Spirit's voice, mm-hmm. relaxing and letting go some of uh, the frames of mind that you're walking in with. What have you noticed has been really helpful for leaders in that journey? Uh, what maybe do they need to lead behind? And what do they maybe need to pick up for this journey of starting a new dinner church? Um, there's a massive amount of reformation structurings that really is not helpful in the dinner church setting. Um, so there is a, a real significant need for just training, lots of training. Mm-hmm. Spending time being uh, pickled in the sauce, mm-hmm. so to speak. A cucumber doesn't become a pickle because it says, I'm a pickle, you know, and a dinner church pastor is not going to become a dinner church pastor because they say, I'm going to open a dinner church. You know, there's this, right. this stewing in the sauce a bit, the, the uh, being, being pickled in the sauce a bit. Uh, and it just takes time with other leaders to realize, oh, wow. <laughs> I don't need that leadership idea and I don't need that one. And that one doesn't matter. And that one doesn't matter. So there's just a lot that has to fall off. And that's why we set up such progressive trainings, day conferences, and another one that follows and yet another one that follows to create time for the cucumber to change. Um, and to where we, we begin to think a lot more apostolic era and a lot less reformation era. We had one uh, guy over in the UK. He said, we are so, uh, we are so, uh, uh, reformation minded. We are so much sons and daughters of the reformers that we know not how to be sons and daughters of the apostles. Um, mm. and that's, that, that takes some real time. We're talking about an apostolic era sociology of church here. Um, but I think in more practical forms, um, we have fabulous opportunities where we have traditional churches that have an isolated neighborhood within the shadow of their steeple one way or another. Um, and um, if they open up a Jesus table church or a dinner church in a community space right over there or right over there or right over there, that place is going to fill up very, very quickly. And they're going to likely be doing the majority of their evangelism in that room, not their Sunday room. 
Uh, in fact, almost all of their conversions are going to be happening because dinner churches really are on the front lines of the gospel where our traditional churches primarily live on the supply line. And there is a very big difference there. Um, so uh, that that is that is one thing as a relationship with an existing church that can provide not only the resources, but they can send a team to you and people. And you can end up with a team of four or five or six people that would be trained really deeply to pastor yeah. that room and shape that room in the likeness of Christ, much, much like a pastor would feel the responsibility of a Sunday church. Someone's got to feel that same thing for that Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night church, um, that dinner church. And so that yeah. pastoral role, has got to be carried by a few. And then, you know, to, to have 15 or 20 Christ followers in the room that are sitting at the tables and eating and practicing that new Passover together, who actually know that this is a new Passover and this really is a divine thing. And uh, Lord, use me tonight, use me to heal, use me to breathe, you know, Jesus stories and faith and life into all of these these new friends that I'm making that are becoming really good friends that uh, that I even cry over. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, week after week, these friendships are growing. And so soon they're getting close to our deepest friend, which is Jesus, you know, yeah. and uh, you hang around someone, you hang around their friends, too. Well, that's that's yeah. where the actual uh, translation moment or salvation moment. That's why it occurs. It's set in the middle of the relational um, happening, the relational bond that's being built. And before long, they're they're observing, you know. I, 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 yeah, I think this Christian thing is real, you know, mm. and it's been hanging around you and in this, in this environment. And, um, yeah. that Wendy was one of you, you want to tell that part about her when she, what she said to Luke? Um, well, I, I was going to say to this point too, uh, you have to be patient with people. It's a mm. slower process than mm. maybe they're yeah. wanting it to be. And real fast, we had a gal named Wendy that came to all of our churches, very much declared verbally out loud to everybody, I'm an atheist. This mm -hmm. is ridiculous. But she kept coming and stayed for the Christ story. And I told her once before, one time, is you don't have to stay. You can leave because she would complain about it. And um, But she, she stayed and complained. So three years into this, so after... Um, you know, having many conversations, eating with her and um, Im imparting things into her life that I that I felt as a Lord led and, and others as well. Um, so here we are three years. We are turning a particular church over to a new pastor and and Merlin was going to introduce him that night. And I'm standing next to him in the serving line. I've got the salad. He's got the entree. The other and pastor. The other pastor. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. The new pastor. Yeah. Luke is his name. And um, I explained to Wendy, Luke's the new pastor of this Fremont church. She'll be taking this over. And and she gets in front of him and, and puts her finger up in his face. I'm going, oh, dear Jesus, because she, she was a verb. <laughs> and she said, Luke, you're going to love it here. She said, because wow. of her pointing at me and him pointing at Verlin, I call myself a Christian today. Wow. And this three years of walking with her, three years and never, mm. no altar call, no coming down and, and kneeling before, you know, the pastor, whatever. Yeah. This woman, little by little, 
found the love of Christ in, in yeah. our dinner church churches because she came yeah. to many of them. Yeah. And um, wow. there's more to that story, but that is the point, you know, mm. don't, don't disregard because God really is faithful at his job. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus really is the savior. Yeah. Mm. No, what that story showed because after she made that proclamation, Melody goes, "You what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh that's God. great. You are." She goes, "Oh yeah, yeah." <laughs> you, you snuck in on us. You, yeah, you, you yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. One of the things uh, I don't know if there was a distinct moment, but there was a slow processing in my heart as a dinner. Pa- dinner church pastor and noticing this in some of my key leaders, I had to come to terms with the question, am I seeking results in this or am I truly seeking relationship? And I think every dinner church pastor who chooses this or any pastor who chooses to invest in this with a group of leaders is going to have to come to terms because we've been, and it's been said so far in this conversation, we've been such a results driven culture mm-hmm. of church mm-hmm. many of us in different contexts that yeah. needs to be repented from like mm-hmm. turned from and our hearts need to be open to relationship so that we can truly let the holy spirit work the result that holy spirit wants to in our context and that's that's what i hear in that story if you were looking for results for what was her name wendy uh, yeah. you may have given up way before that, no, I can't uh, trust Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was a wild one. Our resident atheist forever. Yeah. That was sort of yeah, where yeah. they could come to. <laughs> but I, I saw God working in her life and I saw God in her. And I yeah. pointed at times pointed things out in conversation. Oh, Wendy, that's that's God's gift working in you, which she didn't like mm. hearing that. But yeah. it was those little things, those little opportunities mm-hmm. that he allowed me to just speak into her that started breaking yeah. down her, um, her walls of disbelief. But to step That's up good. just a notch, this is just an example of the power of conversation yeah. at a Jesus table, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the richest Great Commission environment that we can possibly set. Yeah. Um, and, and as much as 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 our churches operate with scriptural teaching at a table, you're talking about you know Christ story conversations, yeah. and they're just yeah. so they're they're the bazookas of the faith. They are just a monstrously powerful um, thing. What Paul even said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, or I'm not ashamed of the Jesus stories. They are the power of God, both to the Greek and to the Jew, to the educated and the uneducated. And it really is the the greatest power source of the faith that we just haven't unpacked for 500 plus years and yeah. longer. Yeah. I, I think in my experience, and I've heard this in others, that in shifting or trying dinner church, um, People think they're more ready than they are to have those sort of conversations. They may know how to present the gospel in a structured way, but to have the nitty gritty conversations after a Jesus story about like raising Lazarus from the dead and Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then having just a real conversation around a table about that if someone's game is way different than talking about 
your latest take on the theology of resurrection or something like that. So it's, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, we've, we've in the, as you pointed out, kind of like the professor student sort of dynamic in our churches Mm -hmm. have not sort of equipped us to be in these authentic relationally based transformative spaces like a Jesus table. Yeah. Yeah. Several, oh, are we good? Several years Go ahead, ago, Mary. well, in our Pike, Pike uh, Market Church, uh, this group of kids, I call them uh, gypsies, mm-hmm. came through, probably 10, 11 of them, and they were, were traveling together from festival to festival to festival. They're on their way up to Vancouver to these, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was these free-for-all, bizarre yeah. festivals. Mm-hmm. Spiritual. S- spiritual. but. Yeah. And so I went and sat down at their table. They're all crammed around one table. And some came over when they saw that I sat there. And I just let them tell me about these things. And they were telling me wild stories. But I asked every one of them at one point, um, who do you pray to when you're at one of these? Because they all have their own spiritual guide, whatever. And fascinating. Well, they loved that I wanted to know and they just kept pouring, pouring, pouring information to me. One, one of the girls was, uh, had a baby and she was a pastor's daughter. Mm. And I asked her how, you know, how me being a PK too, I had that instant connection. I said, well, what does your dad think about this? And so we talked a little bit, but I never interjected ever. Into that conversation, I let them tell me their journeys, yeah. and um, such a lesson for me. But one guy that I really just my heart lunged out to, and and he was sitting actually next to me when he was leaving. I just said, "Will you do me a favor this time? Will you pray to Jesus and see what happens? Just just see what happens." And um, mm. he he promised me he would. Mm. I have no idea, but um, I pray for him now and again yeah. because I believe if he did it, he had an encounter yep. with Jesus. Yeah. You know, when you develop, and the, and the table will teach you this, when you develop confidence in how good, Melody mentioned this a moment ago, how good the Savior is at his job. When you develop mm. confidence in that, then you can just sit and listen and interact in somebody else's spirituality for hours. Mm-hmm. And at the end, just drop one little Holy Spirit moment like, hey, would you ever consider praying to Jesus? I mean, compared to all the time they were talking throughout the whole yeah. evening, that was a very small thing. But she dropped the living Jesus right into the middle of that that one young man's heart. Because that was the door that the Lord just opened her and said, just do that. I'll take care of the rest. Just do that. And that whole... Mm-hmm wear a small load, but trust the savior to wear a big one. That's kind of new. We kind of feel like we've got to like unpack the Bible and jam it in everyone's heads and get them to like do behavioral modification before they even do the full sinner's prayer. And I mean, we're like, we, we take such a big load of transformation on ourselves when Jesus never asked us to do that. But the reformation format of church did ask us to do that. And we've been living under that onerous load for really quite a while. And so it's quite remarkable to get out from under that and then just watch how much life change actually occurs while we're doing really quite small stuff. Mm. Where do dinner church pastors get stuck? Changing, changing it up a little bit here. 
I, I mean, you've walked with people for quite some mm-hmm. time now. Where are some common places they get stuck and what are the ways that they can get unstuck? I think one way that they get stuck is when they come up to that pastoral responsibility of discipleship and they realize they're not ready for it. And they kind of slowly backpedal to where they're just serving a feed with a devotional. (laughs) It's not functioning as a church. It's more functioning like an outreach at that point. And, uh, and they really need some coaching. They need some help. How is it that you can go on to where you are fully wearing that responsibility that I, yes, yes, Lord, we collectively will shape these people in your likeness while us carrying our simple role, but we will take on that pastoral responsibility. You, you bring people into this room and we are going to around tables and during conversation continue to shape them in your likeness because we're going to stay focused on the Jesus stories and that's going to do it. But we yeah. are absolutely full on disciplers, um, you know, and in that way we're a full blown church. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's one place that some get stuck. Um, other times I feel like um, the institutional church reaches back out and tries to co-opt them and pull them back into not only their buildings, but back into their way of functioning and uh, and back into their uh, programmatic systematized frame uh, mm-hmm. and approach. And, uh, and, but these are very, very different things. It's like putting diesel in a gasoline engine to suggest mm-hmm. that all the programmatic stuff is going to do anything for the dinner church. It starts clogging it up. It stops feeling familial and everybody in the room knows it. And yeah. that conversational power really starts to get confused. And so mm-hmm. I think that's a, another, another place that they get a little bit messed up on. Um, and then I think thirdly, money-wise, um, I think they begin to feel like it's a an extra amount of money that they need to raise rather than this being connected to the historic simple tithe. And uh, when individuals feel like they've got to go outside, raise big money, um, rather than just tithing a little bit extra among themselves. And that little extra is what then takes care of the dinner church, which dinner churches are not expensive. I mean, the average dinner church is usually around 75 at the end of the first year. I mean, that number shows up a lot. Let me put it that way. I don't know if yeah. average is fair, but, uh, but, you know, $3 a plate. I mean, dinner churches are not very expensive. Um, but if we're wearing the load that we've got to be writing grants and going out and, you know, and doing a lot of that other stuff as though it's something other than a church that is funded in the historic way that churches have always been funded, i.e. the gifts and the tithes of the people of God, uh, then that becomes a little onerous as well. So I yeah. think those, those are just three things. There's, a, I'm sure, other little little uh, dead-end roads that some end up mm-hmm. on, but I think those three probably are the the leading causes of frustration. So as you've been walking through uh, leaders on this journey, there's not just the um, leadership of the church, but there's self-leadership and self-care of the of pastors in this. And you guys have like a nearly decade sampling of being pastors uh, who have to care for yourself in the midst of ministry, but also lead other pastors caring for themselves. And I'm curious as more and more people are going down this journey and leading churches like dinner churches, uh, what, what do they need to pay attention to in their own self-care as pastors that might be different 
than a more traditional institution, institutional oh. church? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. One that comes to mind immediately is we too need to begin to feed upon the Jesus stories. Hmm. Whereas the Jesus stories become the foundation stone of our own faith. And Hmm. we become excited. We become, you know, uh, that instant in season and out. If somebody was to ask us, hey, what's a Jesus story that's really mattered for you lately? We're like, ah, just yesterday I was reading, you know, and out comes this, this life, you know. And why does that story make such a difference in my life? And if it makes a big difference, we now have something to preach. We have something to use in our evangelist conversations around a table, our discipling conversations around a table. But if it doesn't shape and stir and excite us and bring us back into the Christian adventure, then even though we might be talking about a Jesus story, it's, it's uh, a bit lifeless. It becomes alive when everyone can see why it mattered to us this week, you know. And so I I think that uh, really going back to the spiritual content that the apostolic era was so excited about, and they didn't have the Bible yet. That's 300 years before that got compiled. So what they had was the Jesus stories, and they had the Old Testament when they were with the Jews, but a lot of time they were with Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't care about Jewish history, so they had those 468 Jesus stories. That was the vibrant stuff. And uh, and that material is pretty exciting when we just let it do its work in us. So that's, I I think, one thing. We've got to let the Jesus stories really begin to matter for us, even though the last 500 years we've tried to treat the Jesus stories as entry-level material for the children's classes. Uh, so we've we've downsized that that is actually very life transforming. Um, and then one other thing, um, I think most of our prayer lives have been shaped inside of our traditional church constructs and uh, on the supply line, if you will. It hasn't been out on the front lines where the bullets are flying, where the strong man is right there trying to ruin the people's lives who you have just become friends with. You know, and uh, that are those, those oppression elements. It's right where dark and light are uh, just arcing against each other, you know. Um, and so our prayer life has to become a lot more front linesable, too. And I fear that there are a lot of people, and I think this is true throughout all of Christian history, they come to the front lines of the gospel and last three or four months, and then they get blown back because their prayer life hadn't prepared them to be out there and going against uh, such a directly focused foe Um, and um, eyeball to eyeball with a strong man, so to speak. And so I think our prayer life needs to go through some changes where we're not constantly bringing a knife to a gunfight because Mm -hmm. it's a gunfight out there. So let's show up as people practiced in our authority and practice in our ability to know that if we step in, the strong man has to step back the cross one that level of authority for Jesus and all of his followers. And so, you know, all authority has been given to me, therefore you go. And I mean, that's our role to step in. And, but the authority has been given to our Lord. And so um, the enemy, the strong man knows that, but do we? And so our prayer lives all have to be enmeshed and immersed with that uh, authoritative kind of expectation. And so our prayer life has got to, got to be brought up to speed too. Melody, would you say anything more in terms of pastors caring for themselves? 
Well, honestly, um, maybe this isn't so spiritual, but the weariness does not hit you like it does in a traditional situation, pastoral situation. And um, you don't get um, henpecked by the church ladies. (laughs) So so it's it's a whole different experience. I don't feel like um, we experienced weariness and I Mm. need a break when we were in the thick of it. Yeah. In in the literature story. And and maybe some of our staff will say differently, but um it was such night and day for us. So I guess mm. to say that as an encouragement that yeah. it's not the same road. Yeah. It just isn't. And in in serving in this way and ministering this way, God has been so faithful to just the instant recharge, the yeah. instant reward of what you see God is doing and yeah. um and yeah. and Roland wasn't kidding so many times we in those few years beginning when you go he wouldn't feel good or I wouldn't feel good and we'd come back and go anyways and oh my word we're just yeah. talking up a storm <laughs> as we're walking because <laughs> it was so life giving. Mm. I think that's the difference really is is it's not life sucking. It is life giving. Yeah. Mm. This conversation has been so rich. I'm so grateful to both of you. I've got a last like rapid fire round that I'm ending our podcast with. So these are quick questions with one sentence responses. If you can, if you can manage one <laughs> sentence responses just to round out uh, our time. And then I just want to say thank you to you all after that. So here we go. Are you ready? You can both answer these one sentence fire round. What's the best part of dinner church been for you lately? I just think getting to be in the sacred place of God. Mm. He loves these people. He loves the unsaved so desperately. And you get to see that in action. We get to be a part of that. Yeah. I would say knowing how to live out Acts 5, 27, 28, you have spread the gospel through the whole city. And mm-hmm. rather than just being a church on a corner, being able to be a church through a city, now that you know the Jesus table, that's how they did that. That's what we start getting that kind of traction back again, too. So cool. I, I, I'm just constantly amazed mm-hmm. by that. Yeah. What's your favorite dinner church meal? I absolutely love carved roast beef and potatoes and gravy smothered all over with just a little bit of creamy horseradish. That sounds amazing. I'm going to say the same because <laughs> <laughs> it's this beautiful spread and uh, we're giving yeah. the best. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, that's, it's a gorgeous table. Yeah. yeah, That sounds like abundance on a plate to me right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> If you could recommend one book that you haven't written yourself, I'll add that caveat, uh, article or resource to someone interested in dinner church, what would it be? Mm. Uh, can I do two? Uh, table Talk. Sure. Yeah, you Mike, can do two. Table Talk by Mike Graves is fabulous. Yeah. And Tablet to Table by Leonard Sweet. Both of those are yeah. electrifying for different reasons. 
And I haven't read any. I just, I feel like I live with the book. So. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I don't read a lot of other dinner church stuff. However. Yeah. I think uh, the gospel comes with the house key. House key on hospitality is a real eye opener for people. And um, I would recommend that one. Yeah. Just to open your heart to hospitality. Love that one. We we steal the phrase from her book uh, that we're trying to create a space where strangers become friends, yes. and get invited into the family of God. Uh, we we repeat that phrase often. I use people. that quote when I talk. That's one yeah. I use. Such a good one. Yeah, yeah. very good. Um, one sentence, a uh, piece of advice for a dinner church pastor. Hmm. I think that Macedonian call is a big one for me. Have, I mean, work with the spirit and do prayer walks until you have a Macedonian call and you can't sleep at night anymore until you get a Jesus table open there. Mm. There's something to that. Yeah. I would say just like he said, relax, but let, let um, the fam- the familia lead the way. Don't overcomplicate. Don't overorganize. Yeah. Just flow. Yeah. Well, thank you to you two, not only for this podcast and uh, not only for starting those churches in Seattle, but um, responding to Jesus's call to write some of this down, to tell these stories, to train others. Uh, mm-hmm. People like me who have received that Macedonian call are indebted to you all and your willingness and hard work to capture some of your learnings and tell the story of how you responded to the Holy Spirit. So thank you. Thank you for this. And I'm excited uh, for what comes next for the Dinner Church Collective. And uh, if people want to find more of your story and the trainings we offer with you, which I highly recommend, they can find all that at dinnerchurch.com. Thank you guys for being with us. We're going to go make a strong black cup of coffee and think of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Love it. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your Dinner Church story. You can connect with us over at dinnerchurch.com. It's also where you can find a lot of great resources about how to start or sustain your Dinner Church journey. Dinner Church Podcast is brought to you by the Dinner Church Collective and Fresh Expressions. The Dinner Church Collective is a nationwide community of everyday missionaries spreading the word about this simple, effective, and historical approach to starting new churches. We sure hope you'll join us for the Dinner Church Summit November 9th through the 11th, 2023 in Orlando, Florida. This will be the inaugural gathering of the Dinner Church Collective, and it's your opportunity to be a part of developing a family of pioneers who are passionate about recapturing this powerful expression of God's kingdom. You will meet new colleagues who become friends, all while eating well, worshiping heartily, and learning tangible practices for building a dinner church movement. Learn more at dinnerchurch.com summit. This season of the Dinner Church podcast is hosted by Heather Evans and J.D. Larson. It's edited by Joel Limbowen and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Dr. Verlin Fosner is the director of Dinner Church Collective, and Dr. Chris Backert is the North American director of Fresh Expressions. If you have learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. 
You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and even share this episode on social media. May God bless you as you serve Jesus's kingdom.